Right now in traditional and modern worship, our pastors are focusing on unexpected acts. The Gospel of Luke concludes where acts begins, and the unexpected acts of changed lives and growing churches mentioned therein are inspirited by the unexpected acts of the resurrected Christ. Our pastor's sermons note the prequels and sequels, the befores and afters of the lives and events captured throughout this book. Our scripture reading for today comes from the 11th chapter of the book of Acts. Listen now for God's word to speak to you through these ancient words of Scripture. The apostles and believers heard Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Peter explained, I was in Joppa praying and saw a vision There was like a large sheet from heaven lowered by its four corners. As I looked closely, I saw four-footed animals, reptiles, and birds of the air. I heard a voice, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, Lord, nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. A second time, a voice answered, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, then everything was pulled up to heaven. At that moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house. The Spirit told me to go with them, not make a distinction between them and us. Six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told how he had seen the angel standing in his house, saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your your household may be saved. And the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had upon us. I remembered the Lord said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced. They praised God, saying, God has given even the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at some artist uh, depiction of the Apostle Paul. For some reason, uh, the artists depict him as balding and sort of small-framed and wiry. Uh, here's one from the, the Dutch uh, artist Van Dyck, if we can pull the picture back of, of Peter. Uh, and they often uh, depict Peter as sort of big and burly and bearded and a f- head of hair, which is always good to have. And uh, in this account that we'll talk more about uh, later, and you've heard some of it as uh, Pastor Maggie uh, has read the scripture and uh, Angie shared with the children, that looks like perhaps the, the look on Peter's face when he had the vision that we're going to be talking about here in just a minute. Very good. Thank you. Now, way back, 
when I was a Birmingham Southern College student, some of us ministerial students were part-time youth directors in local Birmingham churches. I was the uh, youth director at Avondale United Methodist Church where I met my wife. And I had a good friend, Mike, who was also my roommate at the college, who was the youth director at the West Woodlawn United Methodist Church. And uh, Mickey Newsom, who's a member of the church, went there. And so we talk about West Woodlawn and Avondale some. Some of you remember Mike Harper. Mike was the youth director at Birmingham First. And there were a number of us who, who did that. One Saturday, we had all of our youth groups up at Camp Sumatonga for a youth rally, one of those great events that uh, Nina Reeves uh, was so good at uh, uh, organizing and, and directing. I was standing with my friend Mike, and uh, well, let me set this up a little bit. There was a time when people would sometimes come up to you and say, God loves you, and I love you. And sometimes that was meaningful and sometimes I don't know it was a little off-putting a little cheesy and so we had a friend who whose name was Chuck I'm trying to recall which church Chuck was a youth director he was a good guy but do, do you know Tigger from Winnie the Pooh uh, Chuck was a great guy but Chuck was a sort of Tigger personality and so, you know, uh, bouncy, bouncy, kaboing, kaboing. And so Chuck kaboings, kabounces up to my friend Mike and says, Hey, Mike, God loves you and I love you. And Mike said, Well, Chuck, God loves you and uh, I'm working on it. In the book, Outcast United, Birmingham native, then, Birmingham, uh, then New York Times uh, reporter Warren St. John wrote about the Fugees, a youth soccer team uh, forged from the refugees who settled in Clarkston, Georgia, which is a bit uh, north, I think, of Atlanta. Their coach was a young woman whose name was Luma. Luma was a Jordanian-born, American-educated young woman. She was navigating being a new citizen very much like most of these families that she worked with. She became the intrepid coach and advocate for this soccer team that was a sort of ebony and ivory pulling together of these young uh, new Americans who barely had in common their fledgling English. Ebony and Ivory, they were from uh, Liberia and Kosovo, from Somalia and Bosnia and Ethiopia and Afghanistan. With only that fledgling bit of new language, they somehow found a way to come together to be a team in this town that was really more a baseball town than a soccer town, a town that was not real sure about its newcomers either. 
Over time, the the newcomer families, uh, among themselves with all sorts of differences, uh, connected with the long-timer families and without denying their differences and sometimes the tensions they had, they found that there was more uniting them than dividing them. But reading the pages of the book, you realize that uniting, that coming together with people with so many differences did not come magically, but it came because they worked at it. Have you ever experienced working at loving someone? Didn't come naturally, didn't come easily, you worked on it? Sometimes we have to work on uh, different groups of people. Uh, There are different groups of people. uh, We have religious differences, and sometimes we have to work on loving each other and caring about each other. We have, oh my goodness, we have political differences, and we work on how do we care about people who see things different than we do politically. We have issues over uh, human sexuality, and how do we deal with when we see things differently than other people see? And on, on and on it goes that there is this sort of thing uh, among us human beings that uh, even though we may share uh, the gift of life from a loving God, uh, we see life often and we see each other differently. And so we recognize uh, that sometimes there are people, not just groups, that we have a challenge uh, to love. Maybe there's a person that you work with that's just a little difficult for you to love. Or maybe it's your, your wife's uh, Uncle Ralph that comes once a year and he comes in. Uh, if you've ever done time in family, you know that there's a reality that we have to work on sometimes loving people we love. And there is a side of it that maybe we don't always recognize is, you know what? There are some people probably that you work with or in your family, uh, people that I work with, people in, in my family that have to work on loving you and work on loving me. And this challenge for humans to care about people who might seem different and are not seemingly like us is nothing new. Uh, in our passage today from Acts 11, it's really a part of an, an ongoing story, uh, an account in Acts 10 and 11. Uh, did any of you watch the episodes and series on Netflix or Prime? Well, you could make about a seven-episode series I would call Up on the Roof uh, about how Simon Peter and uh, the early Christians had to work hard not only don't just to love each other, but to love uh, different types of people. They called them Gentiles, and they, they were people who, who didn't understand God, who had a different way of re- believing than they did. Uh, they were foreigners. They were the not-our-kind-of-people people. And so in this Up on the Roof um, series that I propose, there is a first 
chapter or first episode that precedes what Pastor Maggie wrote. It begins with a scene of Captain Cornelius. Captain Cornelius was an officer in the Roman occupational forces that were stationed in Caesarea. That was a Roman city built on the Mediterranean coast to uh, house the, the troops and, and the chariots and the, the weapons to keep the peace in what was considered a fractious sort of podunk province of the, the Roman Empire called Palestine. And if, I think we've got a map. If we could see the map, there's a sort of a triangle between Caesarea and uh, Jerusalem, and there you see on the coast below Caesarea a bit, Joppa. Now, I'm not sure if that's, that's not an equilateral triangle. Maybe that's a scalene. I forgot the, all the different triangles. But it begins with Captain Cornelius having this vision from an angelic messenger from the God of Jesus who says to him, go to Joppa down the coast to meet a person whose name was Simon Peter. He's staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. Now, the interesting thing about this is that until that time, uh, Captain Cornelius and Simon Peter would have mutually looked down their noses at each other. For Simon Peter, Cornelius would have been a foreigner, a Gentile, a pagan, someone oppressing his country. Uh, for Captain Cornelius, here's just another religious sort of strange bumpkin in this province that we're trying to keep the peace in. And so the second thing, which is really sort of depicted in what you've already heard today, uh, we're told earlier that Simon Peter was hungry. Not sure if he was hangry, but he was hungry. And it says he goes up on the flat roof of his friend Simon the Tanner's house, and it's on the seacoast. And so this may be using too many adjectives, and I apologize to the English teachers, but somehow God uses kosher, diet-keeping, Jewish, Christian, Peter's low sugar, blood sugar uh, condition. He's hungry uh, for what is a kind of amazing dream or vision from God. Now, I understand you're looking out on the water. There's, there's boats with sails. And Peter sees a vision of a great sail, a great sheet coming down from heaven. And in it are all of these animals and birds and fish all of these critters. Uh, imagine, uh, I think in the series or the, t the TV show, I think at this point they would use a soundtrack from what we sang this morning. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voices and sing. Now, in this vision, uh, Simon Peter's hungry, and the voice from heaven says, Peter, uh, kill and eat, have something from this wonderful buffet. Peter balks. Lord, no, no, no. That's against the rules of our dietary practices. I'd never do that. 
And uh, then the great creator of all of us critters has to do some um, attitude adjusting of Simon Peter. He says to Peter, uh, what, what God made clean, you must not call profane. What God loves, you must not call unworthy. And so, understand, Peter figures out that what God is talking about here is not pork chops. He's talking about people. Uh, the scene goes on, non-kosher Cornelius' people talk to Simon Peter's people. Uh, Peter and Simon, uh, uh, Simon Peter and uh, Cornelius swap their vision stories to shocked Jews and Gentiles, uh, to Simon Peter's people and to Cornelius' people. They're shocked because they realize that they have a lot more in common than what divides them. There's something about the God who creates all of us critters that creates roads and bridges to one another when otherwise all we would see are the differences, the things that uh, separate us. And so Peter, it says, began to explain step by step how God changed his heart toward Gentiles, the not our kind of people of his day, those kind of not our kind of people of our day that God loves and we have a hard time loving. Uh, there's a famous verse, uh, not in our passage, but right before ours. It says, Peter uh, explains, Now I understand God shows no partiality, but in every nation, or it could be translated in every group of people, anyone who fears God, who seeks to have faith and do what is right by God, is acceptable. Uh, in uh, our former bishop, William Woolamon's commentary on the book of Acts, there's a, a couple of sentences he, he writes that sums up this momentous uh, situation that we hear about in this vision of Simon Peter when he begins to see this God who enables us to have connections with people that we once thought were impossible. Like the rest of Scripture, Acts is the church's attempt to understand the experience of God, an experience which can be quite confusing when it leads us toward people whom we had not expected to meet. Um, it's sort of edgy to try to apply to our lives, this love of God. We say, oh, love God, love each other. And it's a good thing to say we believe it, but to do it is not so easy. Uh, simple to say, uh, hard to live. Our, our vertical relationship with the God of Jesus is inseparably connected to our horizontal relationship with our fellow critters on God's good, scary earth. 
And it's not just the ones that we say, well, they're like us. I, we'll, we'll love that them, but, but, but not them. It's all. Uh, our prejudices in our lives are deep-seated. Uh, every now and then, oh, I'm not prejudiced. I just love everybody. Well, that's a great aspiration. But my hunch is down deep. All of us have our, our prejudices. We have, we have those people that we feel uh, are like us, and we have those people we feel, well, they're not like us. Uh, it can be racial. It can be political. It can be on sexuality. It can be on nationality as we struggle with who, who become citizens and who aren't uh, eligible for citizens. It becomes between religions. Among Protestants, we, we have troubles, and sometimes between Protestants and Catholics, and uh, sometimes people of other, other world faith. Uh, to say, well, I just have no prejudice really is not helpful. To understand there's something in us that creates those uh, push aways, helps us to be honest, and so our prejudices then no longer control us because we deny them, but because with God's help we begin to, to face them and to deal with them. I think there's some uh, deep-seated insecurity in most of us that needs the guaranteed inferiority of another group to, to, shake, to, to shore up our shaky self-worth. It's, it's just something about us. Uh, God loves us all, but there is some work that comes to loving each other. As Jesus says, love one another. As, as I love. It's not something we do on our own. It's something that God's grace and help enables us to do. Uh, well, we've talked about this difficulty uh, to, of getting up on the roof of our lives and sort of seeing in that great uh, sail before us who are the people that we have difficulties caring about. Uh, your version may be different than mine. And yet, as I, I seek to conclude this, it occurs to me there's another roof. And actually, it's not a roof. It's a mirror. Each day as I look in the mirror at the face I shave, if I'm honest, I can say, Bill, God loves you, but Lord knows I'm still working on loving me. Now, there's a difference between being self-centered and fretting about ourselves and loving ourselves. It's helpful to know that Jesus did not say, uh, like everybody. Now, that would be impossible. But what Jesus said is, Love as I've loved you. That's not exactly oosey-goosey emotion, but it means care about each other. Care that everyone has enough to eat. Care that people are not mistreated. Care that people have a chance at life. Care that people have enough. And so I go back to the mirror and realize maybe it starts with me. If I can accept that God loves me and I can work on loving me, then perhaps I don't take out my uh, uh, ill at easeness with myself on you. 
as you and I come to know that God loves hard to love you and hard to love me, and, and we can love ourselves because God loves us, then we become something of the solution and not just another part of the problem of people loving each other on this earth. So I close with some quick questions. Are there people who are hard for you to love? Why do you think that is? Looking back over your life, do you see times when you were hard to love, but were loved? Have you thanked someone? Have you thanked God? Amen.